Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast for choral conductors, composers, and choristers, where we interview members of our choral community to talk about new music, new and upcoming performances, and discuss the interpersonal and social dynamics of choral organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. Beyond. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! In this episode, a conversation with Dr. Megan Solomon, the Artistic Director of both the San Francisco Bach Choir and San Francisco Choral Artists on how COVID has impacted her organizations and a discussion of the programs released during the pandemic, including Bach in Brew, Many Voices, One Art, and The Rose in Winter. This episode was recorded on December 17th, 2020, when choirs are usually preparing for holiday concert seasons. We catch up with Megan on what she and her choirs are up to during the holidays. All right, I'd like to welcome to the show today Dr. Megan Solomon, Artistic Director of both the San Francisco Bach Choir and San Francisco Choral Artists. Megan has premiered over 300 choral works and twice won the Chorus America ASCAP Award for Adventurous Programming. Megan has served as Artistic Director of the Oakland Symphony Chorus and Stockton Chorale, and taught and conducted at the University of Southern California and UC Berkeley, and has been active across the United States and abroad as a clinician, teacher, and guest conductor. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on our new choral music podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Thank you. And, you know, maybe just starting off with a a good wish for for great holidays. So thank you for joining us, especially in the busy time of year. Um, Since it is the holiday season and it's, you know, it's been a rough run. um, What's something that's bringing you a little joy this holiday season? Oh, it's just feeling, you know, so lucky to be safe and having a home and Mm being able to have food and warmth and things like that to be sheltering in place with my beloved husband and to be in contact with my choirs and to be, I'm very lucky that they have continued to pay me. So I'm not in the dire straits that some people are in, but just, you know, keeping music in my life in those ways, keeping those connections with people are just so critical. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, obviously, COVID's impacted us all, but um, how is it? How has COVID impacted your organizations this year, for better and for worse? Well, um, the different groups have reacted in different ways and have devolved different kinds of solutions to the the situation. The Bach Choir uh, was about four weeks from a Brahms Requiem performance when everything shut down, and we were distraught. Um, we did pay our orchestra, um, even though we didn't perform and we paid our soloists and we thought it was really important to keep things going. So we transitioned immediately into, uh, weekly meetings on our Tuesday night time. And we did that from March all the way through the summer and then straight into a new semester. So that was, that's been very important for all of us, the connections we meet on Zoom like everybody else on Tuesday nights and a chance to have some social time. In the summertime, we did uh, what we called lemonade sessions. Hmm. Uh, You know, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And we had all sorts of uh, guests invited. They presented um, different aspects of their research or we sang or we, we all actually, we always started with a warm up 
and we had a huge range of people, guests, people talking about barbershop quartets or people talking about how they are dealing with some of the health, health issues. Um, we had vocal experts come on. So that has kept going. And in fact, just uh, two nights ago, we had our final party for the year. And for the first time since last January, we're actually taking a few Tuesday nights off. Mm. Oh, wow. Then we had a full full fall season with virtual recordings and weekly rehearsals and all of that other kind of stuff. Um, the choral artists, on the other hand, have uh, got, we uh, had to, postponed we were one week away from our our final our, for our march concert which didn't happen um we didn't get to do our june program we didn't get to do our and we put together a december program that was again a virtual combination of virtual works and uh pre-existing pieces um and that has sort of worked kind of differently we're doing Rather than weekly rehearsals, we get together and sort of talk about the music and have one-on-ones because the kinds of things that work well for Zoom rehearsals with some choirs, like teaching the notes and teaching the pronunciation and going into details of art, of uh, articulation and practicing those things, aren't really necessary with the choral arts. They start out being able to do all that stuff, right. and what they what we cannot do over Zoom is balance, color. Blend. blend within the sections, yeah. the details of musical uh, expression and all those other kinds of things. So we actually went to a, it took, <laughs> it took a couple of tries of different ways of organizing things, but we actually went to doing one-on-ones with the singers. Yeah. Um, I'd spend 15 minutes with each singer on each piece and, and I could target exactly what that singer needed and they would make their virtual recordings, et cetera, et cetera. So, sorry, that was a rather a long answer to a short question. Let's take a minute and listen to Jerry Miller's Coventry Carol arrangement, which can be found on the Choral Artists YouTube channel. Has there been a good response to the the Rose in Winter, the the SS uh, the Choral Artists program that you've got online right now? Yeah, there has been. I mean, we are used to looking at things like attendee number of attendees or ticket sales or things like that, and we have made it uh, that particular concert available on a kind of pay what you will scale. Um, and of course, it's sort of to a household, so it could be one person or it could be ten people watching. So we're trying to figure out how we're going to know how many people actually have gotten to the concert and it's also available will be available through new year's eve right both choirs concerts will be so it's going to be hard to end the year with any sense of how many people came but so far the reaction has been wonderful for for both groups 
that's fantastic. And you said that some of the pro, some of that program is was recorded virtually or individually by the singers and then put together in post production. Exactly. Yeah. How is who is did someone did you hire an engineer to do that? How how did you put that together? I'm just interested. Sure. Well, with for Corlars, we have one exceedingly talented singer who's also our assistant conductor, Tina Harrington, uh-huh. and he teaches a high school, and she sort of took it upon herself to learn how to do all this stuff. So she actually was the person who put all those recordings together and, you know, took care of some infelicities <laughs> and um, did a, a wonderful job. And she's, you know, she's brilliant in musically and intellectually and technologically, but she did a brilliant job with that kind of stuff. Uh, for the Bach choir, we actually had a singer uh, who is also extremely uh He's a genius. He's a technical genius. And he actually wrote software to put the tracks of the choirs together. So he was the one who did the audio for that. Wow. We did, both choirs did hire someone to help with the video for for the virtual choir productions. But wow. the rest of the video was done in-house. Was that for Bach Society both? I was just looking up um, the different programs. And one, of course, near and dear to my heart, Bach and Brew. I mean, of course, who could not want to to, uh, to participate in something like that? Um, and then the Many Voices One Art. I mean, were there components of both of those that were both real-time? Was there anything that which was real-time or live? Or was everything sort yes, of Yes, the Bach and Brew was live. We'd All live. Gotten, uh, we got a tradition going of doing that three times a year in... Mm. August, January, and sort of May or June. Um, and this year we tried it live, and it was me standing at the piano, and that's what we did. Uh, it was it was pretty exciting. And the MVOAs, the Many Voices, One Arts, those we did seven of those this fall. Normally we have a one-day uh, project in March with 15 different projects in th- in three different slots five at a time and that was canceled 48 hours before it was supposed to happen and uh but we decided to sort of invite many of those people back and have them do one hour each on different saturdays so we did seven of those and we will continue that program in the spring as well and that was live as well and speaking of programs coming up in the spring uh for uh for box society you've got a big anniversary coming up yeah, the 85th, I believe, the Bachmeyer 85. 85. Yeah. No, but we're very proud of that anniversary. I mean, 85 years in this part of the country is really quite something. Here's an excerpt of Ave Maria by Canadian-American Black composer Robert Nathaniel Dett, performed by the San Francisco Choral Artists.
what are you seeing out there right now in these COVID times that's inspiring you? Well, I think the thing that's inspiring me most is just that everybody's going at it hammer and tongs yeah. and they're being so creative with what they're doing. You know, the, the sort of the combinations of pre-recorded stuff and video and uh, using interview kinds of uh, formats and having, you know, having people on camera or, you know, people who are even putting out, out concerts that include kind of a blooper reel, which is, which is always amusing. I, I just, the energy, the commitment are really, really moving to me. Is there anything you think from, from your experience so far in putting some programs here that you'll keep moving forward? I mean, considering folks who are maybe uh, geographically couldn't participate or come and, and be an audience, I mean, ways to broaden audience perhaps? Oh, I was thinking actually first about singers. I mean, sure. we're that one of the silver linings for choral artists is some of our past singers who live now too far away are still participating. That's you know, that's been a real boon for us. It's been really lovely. Um, as far as audience goes, I mean, maybe even some of the older singers who, for whom public transportation is challenging and who can't drive or uh, singers who have mobility issues or health issues for which, you know, hauling in to the city from the East Bay, for example, might be difficult. We might well, you know, think of ways to keep them engaged electronically. I think my sense of talking to the singers is they just can't wait to be back together in the same room. Yeah. And I think that that is going to be what drives us forward. But I can imagine that it's going to be a while until singers can be back together. And it's going to be even longer before audiences are going to want to come together. Right. Uh, I saw a, a survey done of health professionals, particularly those who are in the sort of pandemic health area you know, when are you going to go back to restaurants and when are you going to go back to concerts and theater? The concerts and theater answer, two years. Wow, wow really? That, that just... Yeah, that breaks that my heart. That sort of took the wind out of me. And, and you know, uh, but they're the people who actually know what the risks are. So I think probably one of the intermediate steps, and I'm saying this as someone who's not informed medically, might be... If we feel like we can get our choirs in a room, spread out with masks, whatever, and do a performance together, but to an empty hall, and then mm. transmit that, uh, I think that might well be an intermediate step for us and, and a way to reach audiences. I mean, the, one of the things that's been great about the, the productions that Coralaris and Bach Choir just did is we've had people in on the East Coast and in Europe. Uh, I think yeah. we had someone in Australia, a couple of people in Asia tune in. And, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, we had we had some singers the other night saying, you know, my aunt is 94 and she's never been able to hear me sing and she was able to tune in. You know, it doesn't get better than that. And it definitely is a silver lining for me for the situation we're in. Yeah. I mean, selfishly, I feel like I've discovered and been able to experience more groups and more music in the last several months than ever before in my life. I mean, I, we, you know, Radio Sweden has done this forever that they've broadcast these incredible musicians. And if you're lucky, you can tune in. But right. the number of groups we've been able to discover is just tremendous. It's really great. It's incredibly inspiring. I, I agree with you. It's just great to see everybody trying and making things work. And it sort of speaks to our love of art that art finds a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I agree, Megan. That that the the ingenuity and the the new ideas that are coming out during this time are going to carry forward. 
in the past, pre pre COVID, has cor- had choral artists ever live streamed a concert? Not to my knowledge. No. Not to my knowledge. I mean, I've been with them now for whatever twenty five years, and we certainly have never done that. Yeah. Um, we we record everything, and we often make parts of those recordings available. Right, right. Of course, we IOC live streamed one a concert once. You did, and I it was we, we put it on Periscope, and yes. it was the one concert I was actually able to watch. Isn't that amazing? How yeah. much broader an audience you can get when you do that? I think it's going to be more commonplace. I, hope so. I think Forward. you're right. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. I also wanted to mention uh, Bach Choir also commissioned a piece for this Christmas concert, uh, specifically for virtual choir mm. from Ted Allen, who lives here in Oakland. Uh huh. And it. He provided all the materials, the the tracks, um, and the uh, it also included violin and harpsichord, and video which he had taken of the uh, uh, Mendocino Coast, called Mendocino oh. September twenty twenty, and it's just spectacular, and it works with the virtual choir problems rather than against them. Huh. So it's really encouraging us to think about, you know, the next whatever, three, six, nine, 12 months in a different way that commissioning, which has been so critical to choral artists and is now uh, Bach Choir also has a uh, tradition of commissioning, that that does not have to stop because we can't actually get in the same room with each other. Right. Are you noticing, folks? I mean, I, I, I mentioned this only just because I think um, funny sort of side anecdote after doing physically literally nothing for many months during COVID, just sort of staying home and, and being isolated, you just notice things atrophy, including your voice. Are you noticing that with your singers? I mean, are you? how are you encouraging folks to kind of stay fit? That is the million dollar question. Yeah, I'm noticing it personally. Choral artists, people are saying they're feeling that they're out of shape. Even those who are teaching music remotely mm. are feeling they're not as much in shape. Um, the Bach Choir, we start every every Tuesday night with a warm-up, and those warm-ups are posted online, so they are available 24-7 to anyone who wants to do them. I have no idea how much they're being used or not used. And there are other things like um, the, uh, the some of the voice teachers are, are doing sessions, which they're putting out free for people to tune into. Uh, I think the... Many people have um, the intention of, okay, now I'm really going to do a warm-up every day and get myself vocally in shape. But when people are sort of a little more honest about what's going on, they're saying, I'm finding it really hard. They're they're finding it hard to have the headspace, to have the privacy, to have the quiet. Um, Not everybody has access to a keyboard. And of course, you don't need a keyboard to warm up, but it helps. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a real problem. Just like kids in school are are losing are losing um, they're losing skills. I think our singers are also losing skills. I'm hoping they're gaining some other skills, though. I think the process of recording yourself and if you can bear to listen to yourself, oh. <laughs> I think you can actually learn something. Now, there's that sort of if you can bear to listen to yourself part. But I think for those who are, who are gritting their teeth and listening, they're realizing the things that maybe they've been being told for 
ears actually are true <laughs> and that maybe you know that b flat always is flat on you know when they're in a descending scale or maybe that their a vowel needs attention or things like that i think they're hearing those things so i'm i'm trying to look on the positive side that some of this will actually improve some aspects of skills in terms of just vocal fitness i think it might be tricky though it's interesting to think about um, how that might impact programming, too, going forward. I mean, what do you come back to when you actually can get everybody together? I know that um, Robert Hollingsworth, who leads um, Ifagiolini, he when he was asked to join Voce's Aid for this live stream concert that they were doing out of the UK, out of this London, Live from London series, um, they interviewed him beforehand, and he sort of very candidly said, oh, well, you know, we just went back to Monteverdi. They, we just needed repertoire that we felt we knew fairly well that was directly in our wheelhouse that we felt really comfortable about and that we could prepare in relatively short order. I mean, do you imagine seeing things like that And when it comes to programming when you come back? Like, oh gosh, how do you think about vocal fitness and readiness to take on new music? That's a really interesting question. And brutally, honestly, I have not thought about it. I, I'm trying not to think too much about it. We're going to be back in, in rehearsal together in the same way, just because I can't bear to be disappointed too many more times. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm sort of thinking, you know, um, I was talking to a good friend of mine who's a, who plays in the San Francisco Symphony, and his way of thinking about it, he said, I sort of figure this is kind of intermission in the concert. We're about halfway through. Yeah. And it it's both devastating to think of it that way, but it's probably pretty realistic. So I think you're right. You know, if if it's now, you know, it's March till now is about eight or nine months, and if we're going from now till August or September, that's going to be another eight or nine. And unfortunately, as we hear on the radio every day, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So, what's inspiring you right now, and what's keeping you going? I mean, assuming that you are you are tapped into some sense of resilience, leading the groups that you do. I mean, where do you find the strength and the energy to 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 do that? I have two fabulous groups of singers and two fabulous organizations who are really committed to keeping going. I mean, that's an awful lot of it. And to see those faces every week, to see people struggling with the technology or struggling with their schedules or struggling with the dog that keeps barking in the other room or struggling with their kids being home from school and they're trying to get some work done, you know, that they are sticking with it is just, it's the biggest inspiration in the world to me. And the other is that, you know, I've always loved music and not hearing live voices in a room is something I'm missing more and more. And that, you know, sort of seeing that ahead, albeit quite far in the distance, perhaps, is also keeping me going. Yeah, the light is visible. It's at the end of the tunnel and the tunnel is still really long. Like you said, we're halfway through it. But but it's I a great echo. It. It's, it's a, a great, really great reverb coming amazing. back. It's fantastic. <laughs> you can see it though, all the way down at the end of the, at the end right. of the tunnel. It's it's coming. Yeah, I, I think I think summertime we're hoping to get IOC singers together, you know, in some outdoor space and and start to really help rekindle things and get going. But I think the fall season next year is really when we're gonna see things start to get back to you know normal. Quote unquote normal. Say, quote unquote. Yeah, no, I think you're probably right. So I had a question about about new music, because that's the ultimate goal of this podcast is going to be to talk about new music. In fact, I hope that we'll be able to have you on many times, because with the choral artists in particular, you've pioneered, well, as I mentioned earlier, over 300 new works. And that's you know wonderful. And 
you know, IOC has lots of experience with new choral works as well. And, and oftentimes when we're doing something that's a premiere, that's a brand new piece of work, it tends to be pretty darn difficult. So I wanted to know what you think about the new choral music that's being written that is not quite so difficult, that's a little bit more um, attainable for the less experienced choir, a choir that may not be quite at the sta- at the level of choral artists. Is there some good stuff being, being written out there that's at a slightly easier level? Absolutely there is. Um, and I think there is very good music at all levels of difficulty, and there's a great deal of very bad music at all levels of difficulty. <laughs> And I think sometimes people think that an easy piece is going to be one that's mushy and homophonic and, you know, the same old seventh chords that we've heard Mm -hmm. a bunch of times. And um, I think, you know, good composers who really know the voice and who are thinking in new ways can absolutely write music that's appropriate for choirs of every level. And it's really exciting to me that, you know, it's not just the best college choirs who are doing contemporary music. Um, personally, my soapbox is that an awful lot of what we hear at conferences is not of very high quality and tends to be kind of all in the same style. But I feel that doing work by living composers is critical for everyone. And I think particularly for young folk, for kids to know that a composer is not somebody moldering in a grave but rather is a person who's being creative and that music can change and you can experiment and there are all sorts of things you can do with your voice that aren't the things that we've done before. I think that's really exciting. And, and I, I hope that more and more choirs will just embrace variety in the new music they do. How do you think we can inspire composers to write? Because I think that there's possibly a little bit of a... Um a sense of, of the need as for a composer, the need to write difficult music. Cause if it's new, it's gotta be hard. It's gotta be challenging. Is there a, how would you say we should uh, inspire composers to write some, you know, not quite so pull your teeth out type music, but that is still rewarding musically. I think you put your finger on it. And I think partly it's a matter of like, if I'm going to write a piece, I have to, sh- I have to show off and I have to, you know, Somehow my standing as a composer has to do with the difficulty of my music. Well, personally, I think that's questionable. And in fact, writing a a two-part piece, two-voice piece, that is is able to be done by sixth graders is the hardest thing in the world. To make a good piece that airs two parts. So I think some of it is that. It's just a kind of an uh, inappropriate idea of what a real composer does. The second thing is that I think a great number of people who are writing for choirs have no experience of singing themselves, Mm. have never learned about vocal music, have never studied vocal music or have studied little vocal music, and have not actually been in a room where a choir was trying to learn something. Or incredibly incredibly boring alto parts mm-hmm. and impossible tenor parts and bad tessitura. I've worked with the um, San Francisco Conservatory's uh, composer um, competition, as you have seen, for yeah. many years. And thank heavens, David Conti is doing a spectacular job of actually teaching people about voices. 
which is critical. But uh, without naming any names, people are coming out of doctoral programs in composition, never having written for a choir. Hmm. And I find that appalling. Yeah. And if they've never sung in a choir, you know, and they're sitting at a keyboard, what we get is all this homophonic stuff of these smooshy chords that is A, all sounds the same, B, uninteresting to listen to, C, uninteresting to sing, D, unvocal. Right. So, I mean, my answer to that is, People need to be in choirs. And when, when, when we've done the thing at the conservatory, I insist that all of those composers sing with my singers. Oh. Find out what it's like to sing their own lines. I know David makes the singers sing every line of their piece. But to be in the middle of a choir and having to pull some note out of the air <laughs> and it's not being prepared or having to you know sing a closed vowel on a super high note mm-hmm. or trying to balance a a chord where it's supposed to be fortissimo and the sopranos are on a high Z and the basses are in the basement. <laughs> right. And you keep saying, I can't really hear the basses. Well, <laughs> I think that kind of experience is, there's no substitute for it. Yeah. David, when we were talking with David, he mentioned um, his strong feeling that that composition of any type of music has to start with knowledge of, of the voice music always you know it originated with with the voice and of course you know we all know that to be true music it's not like somebody walked out of the cave and walked up to a piano and was like oh what's this doing well here? maybe he banged a stick on a rock that's or something true. i don't know maybe true. percussion that's came true. a little well, early melody, melody yes. has always come from the voice <laughs> yeah so that's that's great <laughs> Oh, I wanted to ask this. This is a little bit of a broad question, so take it wherever you, wherever you'd like. Um, but I was interesting, interested to know something that you've learned this year about about yourself mm. and how you relate to music making, because the parameters of everything have changed because COVID has come in and interrupted what we call quote unquote regular life. What's something that that that's taught you about yourself? What an interesting question. I would probably want to give this some thought before I gave a full answer, but one of the things that it's not something I've learned about myself, but something that's been strengthened hmm. is how critical making music with singers is to my being. You know, I made I made the decision to be a choral conductor when I was in high school. It was one of these bolt out of the blue realizations and uh, I've never wavered from that. And the things that have always moved me in music most have been the human voice, the connection of the human voice with text, the connection of the human voice with text with melody, the connection of the human voice with text with melody and harmony. That combination I've just found ravishing. And, uh, you know, I heard Robert Shaw perform the B minor mass in utero three days before I was born because my mother was a singer with the Shaw Chorale and that was what they did. And that piece has always, you know, even when I was one or two years old, if I heard that, I suddenly, this is, you know, parents can't always be relied on to be accurate about this sort of stuff, but I was, I would just stand stock still. And there was some kind of moment of recognition there for me. And I think that that has, has carried through my entire life. There, there's something about people singing together, which there is no substitute for. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I, from uh, the way I've always said that is that it's the closest thing to solving the human condition as I can, as I know, to feel connected to other people and to have the music be part of that and to create together. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Where did you go to high school, Megan? In Boston. In Boston. Yeah. Was it? Was your high school? Did it have a strong music program? Was it? Uh... Had a very strong. It was a small school and had a very strong music program. And in fact, I was exceedingly lucky. The, the guy who was our our conductor um, saw that I was interested and invented the position of assistant conductor for me, even when I was in high school. And wow. so, and he gave me chances to do little bits of re- of rehearsal and things like that. In fact, my first, I mean that I persisted after this, you'll find amazing. But my first sectional rehearsal was on Stravinsky's The Dove Descending, 12 okay. tone oh. oh, dear. Oh, we just did the tone rose. We, uh, with symphony chorus, we just did the Stravinsky. Oh, oh boy. It's a wonderful, wonderful piece. And I only had 16 measures to teach the Sopranos <laughs> and Altos. But it was a, definitely a trial by fire. And I think he sort of figured, okay, let's see if she really wants to be a conductor. And I sweated through that, but, you know, that kind of, you know, I was so lucky to have a small school where, you know, making a position for me was something they could do. I got to conduct a little choir and do something on graduation. You know, those kinds of opportunities were just magical for me. So that made, that had a huge influence. And I wish every kid who wants to do music had as many wonderful opportunities as I had. Has it always been classical music for you, Megan, or have you dabbled in uh, other genres as well? I've all, I'm secretly deep down. I think I'd love to be a jazz singer in my next life, <laughs> but um, I don't have any skill in that department. Mm. And yeah, no, I didn't. I, I, I did a lot of recorder playing and things when I was in high school. So I was never a rocker. I mean, I loved the sixties pop stuff and I was, you know, that's I listened to Top 40 radio when I was in high school as well. But no, I've never really experimented with that. And there are all sorts of, I mean, extended vocal techniques and the, all of the Eastern European stuff. And, you know, I mean, there are just a million different places to go, but I haven't really explored them as much as I'd have liked. I think this has been a fantastic conversation. It's so wonderful to chat with you. And, and we would absolutely like to have you come back. Um, to talk with us more you know we intend for this podcast to to talk about choral music but but new choral music compo- you know, music by living composers which you touched on a moment ago and and the people that bring it to life the composers the conductors and the choristers and we plan to have at least someone from each of those categories on on each episode and since you've been such a pioneer I, it would be wonderful to to bring you back and and have you talk you know maybe about a, a piece in particular or a composer in particular and really get some nice deep dives we'll be able to listen into some snippets of of recordings and really get into the music um and and inspire people to write more choral music and and write it across the difficulty levels so that everybody can be singing new music i love palestrina and i love monteverdi i mean it's beautiful music but i want to hear i i i get excited about the new stuff but i don't want it to be so challenging that it alienates either the audience or the chorus you know, something else that occurred to me, and we talked about that a while ago, but I think one of the things that's really important in getting good music written for choirs that's not deadly difficult is uh, as much communication as possible between the, the conductor and the composer and being very specific about saying, 
you know, these are the ranges for the different vocal parts. Um, this is what is difficult for singers. I actually, over the years, have put together a three-page single-spaced list of this is what is hard for, you know, this is what works and doesn't work for choirs. Oh, wow. You know, if you're going to, I, I, one of my rules is if these are the things that are difficult, and I list like nine difficult things, you can only do three difficult things in any given piece. You know, it can either have really hard language and be really fast and weird notes or really difficult rhythm or uh, a zillion parts or extreme ranges or extended vocal techniques or but don't do more than three hard things in one piece. And I think sometimes they just need really specific rules and they need pushback from conductors saying, Actually, what you have written would be possible by the Swedish Radio Choir, but no one else. Right. So let's talk about this. And I've, I've one of the things that I've really loved about my role with, particularly with choral arts, but a lot of other choirs, is to work with composers, help them understand why something is difficult, particularly if they're keyboard players, which they often are, and and to help them learn that to have a certain effect, you don't necessarily have to make it difficult. Mm -hmm. That if they want, you know, I, my question to them often is, well, what do you want to, what do you want to happen? What do you want it to sound like? What the, what is the feeling that you're going after? And then I can sort of suggest, well, you can take out a ha half of these parts and space the voices this way and align their vowels and you'll get that effect much better. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I think that, that I think we can all do a better job of working directly with composers um, and, and having that part of the expectation on both ends, a, yeah. we expect them to be responsive to what we say and B, I, I really don't like to have composers involved who are not open to that kind of thing because it's always a collaboration. Sometimes they don't see it that way. They sort of want to write a piece and just boom, there it is. My, my baby, don't you mess with it. But I think composers who really want their works done well are open to, what it takes to make that work for choirs. And especially if they don't have the experience themselves, that's where we can come in to help get those good, not impossible pieces written. Yeah, so communication is key. Communication is key. And I also point out, if it's actually doable, you'll get a lot more performances. Mm -hmm. Right. And what composer doesn't want more performances and maybe even more sales? So yeah. yes. I, I try to put that front and center as well. Well, this has been wonderful, Megan. Yeah, Thanks thank so, much so much for taking I'm the so time. I'm so honored to be invited. Oh, it's really? great. You're one of our inaugural interviewers or interviewees, and uh, it's we're very excited to get this rolling. And now's the time. So, um, yeah, we'll we hope you come back, and we thank Super, you for your time. You. Well, have a wonderful Thank evening. So and much. You too. Take care. Yeah. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah. My pleasure. And good luck with the IOC. I'm really looking forward to hearing you guys live again. Yes, of course. But it's, so, but it's so nice to see that video and see so many familiar faces in there. It was really. Oh, cool. I, I know. In the Zoom, the Zoom video. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, you were talking earlier about being able to involve people from around the world now because of technology and what we've been well forced to do. One of the singers on that, two, two of the singers on that, on that recording were not anywhere near the Bay Area. One was in New York and one was in Denmark. And yet right. we still no, were able to do about that. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it was just so wonderful to be able to involve alumni and involve people sure. from around 
the place. But I will say, you know, while I enjoy the final product, you know, I think it's a great video to watch and it's a nice recording to listen to. And the next one we're doing is going to be the same. The process of putting it together still feels too separated. It still feels not choir, you know? Mm. And so I, I'm with you. I cannot wait to get into a room with multiple people all singing at the same time and, yeah. and remove the technology, you know, yeah. for, for just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Megan. Well, thanks again. And Thank uh, we'll you. talk to you really, soon. I'm really honored. Really all honored. Right. Good luck with everything. Stay healthy. Thanks. You too. Same. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison podcast. But before we go, do you sing in an awesome choir that people should know about? Or maybe know a composer or conductor you'd love to hear on the show? How about any recent or upcoming performances that touched your heart, tickled your fancy, or made you go, hmm? Well, then we would love to hear from you. Please shoot us a note at ideas at inunisonpodcast.com with your thoughts. And who knows, maybe Chorus Dolores will ask us to talk about it during announcements. <laughs> In Unison is sustained, nourished, and fostered by you, our loyal and loving listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to In Unison on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at In Unison Pod. And hey, if you like what you heard, tell a friend or a section mate. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon. Volunteer ushers were organized by Chorus Dolores, who can sing your name in Solfege. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.